So every time I speak, I feel like the subject at hand is something that I'm either currently wrestling with or something that I have wrestled with for the majority of my life. Um, the will of God being one of those things. So I am standing up here today, as we always do, and I just want to remind you that I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. But what my hope and my prayer has been for throughout this entire time of planning this talk is that the spirit in me will connect with the spirit of you and teach us both something. Because I know from planning this talk in this time that I have been learning a ton, as well as through my whole life. So um, in, at the risk of spoiling the entire talk, I'm going to start with the conclusion of the talk. We have absolutely overcomplicated the will of God. That is the talk. So you could leave now if you'd like. <laughs> That's plenty. Um, I was actually talking to my friend this week, and he said, oh, what, what are you going to speak on on Sunday? And I said, the will of God. And he goes, oh. I was like, that's encouraging. I feel really good about that. Um, and I was like, and he goes, that's kind of a heavy subject. And I was like, no, it'll be fine. It's not that big of a deal. And he's like, you're joking, right? And I was like, well, honestly, I kind of am joking and kind of not. Because I think, again, we've overcomplicated it. Because the will of God, ultimately, is to love God and to serve him. So let me begin with a little bit of my own story. For many, many years, I had a really unhealthy view of the will of God. I'll be honest right here from the start. Somehow at an early age, I'm not going to blame this on my parents. I don't actually ever remember them telling me this, and they're not here today, but I want to make sure that it's clear that it's not my parents' fault. But at, a some, at some early age, I remember being taught and it being reinforced over and over that there was one plan for my life, and if I miss that plan, it is doom and gloom. In every big decision that I made, in every little decision that I made, I would like be filled with this anxiety and like, oh, what am I going to do? There's one plan. God is somehow going to do this, I, I'm going to miss it, I'm going to mess it all up. Um, as I took this as a truth, I never questioned it, okay? That's my one mistake. My second mistake is that I then read my Bible through this lens. So every time I would pick out a scripture, I would take out a scripture with that lens of like, okay, this is God's plan for my life, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. I would take scriptures out of the whole context of the larger story, of the larger passage and out of the story of the larger story that God has for our lives and for all of creation. Which, side note, we're also in the later fall going to be talking about the Bible and the beauty of it and what it is and how we are to use it, so get excited for that after the Third and Hour series. Um, but then the third, my third issue, creating an unhealthy view of the will of God, was that the Bible then was reduced to a list of rules. I looked at it as a rule book of this is what I have to follow. I mess up, I'm done, this is a path, there's a will, it's just rules, again, minimizing God's beauty in it. So if you look at this as an equation, take my view that the will of God is one plan for my life, plus all these scriptures are just singular scriptures, and they say certain things to me, plus um, the Bible is just a rule book, and what do you get? You get a relationship with God that is filled with anxiety and guilt and fear and a completely minimized view of who God is. And try making a decision with this as your base. And if you can't picture that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it out for you. When I was in fourth grade, picture cute little Julie as a fourth grader. I had a permed mullet. It was really nice. Um, it's truth. My kids tease me about it often. Um, but growing up, my mom worked at a Christian books and gifts store. So in our house, we had 
like 93 nativity scenes at Christmas, and I kid you not, like there were so many nativity scenes. Or every mug had a Bible verse on it. Every pencil that I took to school had a smiley face, and it said, smile, Jesus loves you, everything. So I just had all the paraphernalia. Well, one question, how many of you guys remember all the really cool Air Jordan gear? Thank you, thank you, there are some. Maybe some of you guys still like it, and that's fine, I love it. So my mom brought me home a new outfit. I was really excited. It was this red shirt with matching shorts. But on it was, oh, it was so pretty. Um, it was the outline, a silhouette. If you don't know Air Jordan, there's a silhouette of Michael Jordan about to dunk a basketball. Mine had a silhouette of Jesus, and it said Air Jesus, just do it. So I have this red shirt and these white shorts, and I'm looking in the mirror as a fourth grader, and I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to wear this. I don't want to wear this to school. I have to wear this. And the only verse that was coming through my head was, do not be ashamed of me, and I will not be ashamed of you on judgment day. So naturally, <laughs> right? It's terrifying. So naturally, my thought is, if I don't wear this shirt, I'm going to hell. Um, this one verse basically says that since I'm embarrassed by this outfit, uh, Jesus won't let me in. Um, my entire salvation comes down to this moment. There's a right and wrong outfit to wear today. And basically the will of God is for me to wear this Air Jesus outfit. Obviously I wore the outfit. Um, as you can imagine, those types of decisions became a little more important as I got older and older, but still played out pretty similar. To the point that when my husband, he's now my husband, Brad, um, we were dating, we had a really great relationship, I loved him, but suddenly one day, I was, I was about to graduate from college and I was going to go into uh, full vocational, full-time vocational ministry, and all of a sudden it occurred to me that Brad did not want to do this. And in my head I was like, wait a minute. I disregarded all the things of like, I love him, he loves Jesus, he serves Jesus daily, but in my head, I was like, I bet God wants me to marry somebody who's going into vocational ministry. It can't, I, I can't marry Brad. And it was this moment of like, oh, what am I going to do? To the point where I even broke up with him for a little bit to try and like figure this out. And luckily, part of the process, this is part of my story, part of the process, we are together. He's really great. I love him. But it was a time filled with guilt and to the point where I thought, I, if I make this wrong choice, I'm, I'm done. It's doom and gloom. So a lot of times these choices would paralyze me. And the reason I tell you all of these stories is because I don't think I'm the only one sitting here who has had this thought. Or maybe I'm not the only one sitting here right now who's actually living into this right now. Today, my hope is that you will take a deep breath and realize that we have the opportunity to live out the will of God day in and day out. It's not about this big thing in the future far away, but it's about here and now. And living out the will of God is not based on anxiety and fear and guilt. It's, it's based on this beauty and this love that God has for us. The will of God for our lives is simple and beautiful. It is simply to love him and serve him. And it's talked about throughout the whole Bible, but it's specifically talked about a lot again in the wisdom literature because it's a wise thing to talk about. Um, I would argue that Ecclesiastes, actually, that whole book is about the will of God. There's a lot of other stuff in it, too. You can get a lot of things from that. It's a really beautiful, rich book of the Bible. But chapter after chapter, the author continues to talk about how he is, and this author's lived life. He's had it all. He's 
lived it up, but he talks about how all of the achievements, all of the riches, all the toils, all the pleasures, everything about life are meaningless and not worth fretting over. And then he wraps it up at the end of chapter 12 and he says this. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. The whole duty of man. That's what it is. Right there. Now, again, if you have a little bit of fear in you, you look at that and you think, fear God. I'm supposed to be scared of him, right? Like, because he's this... No, fear is so much more than that. Fearing God means to be in awe of him, to be amazed by him, to sit in his glory and his splendor, and to look at him and think, man, God, you are big and you are awesome. That is what it means to do the will of God. And then it says to keep his commandments. God's plan for your life is for you to love him and follow him, to, to trust him with all the things little and big, and then to follow his commandments. And what is the greatest commandment? Jesus answers this question, which is super nice for us. Uh, in Mark chapter 12, the Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus making a mistake. After, and after asking a few tricky questions, it says this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this. Therefore, God's will for your life, right here and right now, is to fear God, to be in awe of him, be amazed by him, sit in his glory, and let him blow you away and then keep his commandments. Love him with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So actually, read this with me. This is what we are to do. We put up that next slide. Read this with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your I was full of a ton of energy, guys. I felt really like you meant it. Let's try it one more time, and I want a little more enthusiasm. Go. Love the Lord your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Thank you. I'm sweating up here, guys. Like, help me out a little bit. That, that was great. Um, so the question to me is, how do we play this out? And what I have done is I have listed off five short lessons that I have learned through my journey. And I, again, I'm still on this, and I'm still learning, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to continue to learn. And honestly, the hard part about this talk was that there are so many things that I, I could say, um, but I limited it down to five short lessons that I have learned. First one, you are not as important as you think you are. Super uplifting, I know. But the posture of... Being in awe of God is a posture of humility. And how prideful was it of me to think in all these times that I was making decisions that I somehow was going to stop God from moving. That by me making this wrong decision here or there was going to mean that God was going to stop working. But I've learned that God is so much bigger than me. He has plans way beyond me. This life is not simply about me and what I'm doing, but it is a life that is about what God is doing in all, 
in the world, in this community, much larger than me. God is going to be working, and he has invited us into it, and that is beautiful. But I'm not going to, I, God is going to be God. He's going to continue to be God, even through my mistakes. And that, to me, is freeing. Um, when, we, when we live in a way that is honoring to him, and that is looking at him in awe, and in a, in a way that is humble, and recognizing that God is working, and he's inviting us into it, not we're working and inviting God into it, we get to live out God's will. So be in awe of God, don't be in awe of yourself, is something that I have learned. My second lesson is, you are more important than you think you are. A little confusing, but last week, Russ talked about the truth that we are fully known and fully loved by God, the God of the universe. You are absolutely important to God, and because of this, he is inviting you to live out his will. Last week, Russ read Psalm 139, and I just want to remind you of it again. So if you take a moment, you can close your eyes, you can just listen. I'm just going to read you a small portion of it, and it says this. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And then it goes on later to say that God knitted you together in your mother's womb and that you are fearfully and wonderfully made just as you are. God made you. God loves you. And when the God of the universe chooses to make something, it is important. And he's invited us to share his love with others. Henry Nouwen put it this way. The great message that we have to carry as ministers of God's word and followers of Jesus is that God loves us not because of what we do or accomplish, but because God has created and redeemed us in love and has chosen us to proclaim that love as the true source of all human life. And I remind you of this because this is where it all begins. This is what living out the will of God comes from. If we want to do God's will of loving him and serving him, it can only start from him, from God's love for us. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. God is love. He is perfect love. God showers us with his love. We can only love God and follow him and serve him because he has first loved us. You are fully known and fully loved. And then out of that, we can love our neighbors which is the third lesson that I've learned when trying to live out the will of God. It's follow the yellow brick road. So these, if you're taking notes, are really great notes to have down because you will look back at these and be like, yeah, that makes sense. Follow the yellow brick road. How many of you have seen The Wizard of Oz? I honestly put this one in here because of my good friend Carrie because she loves this movie. But this, if you have not seen it, Dorothy is going through Oz and she's trying to find her way back home to Kansas. And he, she's at this moment where she's like, what do I do, what do I do? And, he, and they're telling, him to find, telling her to find the wizard. And in order to do that, just follow the yellow brick road. Kind of like, follow God's plan for your life. No big deal. So here, she's on the yellow brick road, and I'm going to show you a 30-second clip of what happens. Now which way do we go? Pardon me. That way is a very nice way. Who said that? Silly Toto. Scarecrows don't talk. It's pleasant down that way, too. That's funny. Wasn't he pointing the other way? Of course, people do go both ways. 
that face right there is me in most of my decisions. The <sighs> is it possible that there's more than one way? That Scarecrow says, go that way, or go that way, both ways are pleasant. Trick, not a trick question, the answer is yes. There are many times where God gives us many ways that we can go. Um, in Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, the Lord, uh, it says, for I know the plans I have for you. Sorry, I got a little distracted. Obviously, we all know this verse. For, the, for I know the, Lord, the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. What does it say? Plans. It doesn't say, for I know the one plan that I have for you, and that is the only plan that you will prosper in. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you. It's plural. And then again in Isaiah, it says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. I've learned that when it comes to most decisions in my life, oftentimes there are many good options. There's not just one good and one bad. And yes, there are absolutely times where God says, do this, and by all means, do that. <laughs> but most of the decisions that I think we are faced with are really great and beautiful options. And our choice like that is to follow, just to pick one and then do it. Um, I think about it a little bit like with, I've got three girls and they are really into watercolor painting right now. And there's a lot of times where I will hand them a blank sheet of paper and I will say, draw me a picture or color me a picture, paint me a picture. They know that means that there are boundaries to that, right? They're not, that doesn't mean paint me a picture on the table and on the walls and on myself. It's no, do it within these boundaries. Do it what's good. But it doesn't have to be, I don't say, paint me this exact. I need it to be look like this. And there's a house and then there's four walls and then there's this grass. It's no, paint me a picture. And then I look at it and I think, you created this. This is beautiful. I love it. And I think sometimes God hands us that blank canvas and he says, paint me a picture within these beautiful boundaries that I've given you. And let me see what you do with it. And I am with you. Whether you go to the right or to the left, I am with you. And I think, because I think that sometimes God puts decisions in our life uh, and cares less about what the actual decision is and more about the process of the decision and the decision of if we're coming back to him and if we're asking him and if we're seeking community. Which leads me to my fourth lesson. It's actually about the little things right here and right now. And yes, there are absolutely big decisions that, decisions that will change your life, decisions that call you to move, that call you to leave a community, or you have to choose between this major job and that major job. But it seems like the question of what is God's will for my life comes up most often when there's a big decision to make. But I'm convinced the will of God is about all of the little things day in and day out far more than about the big decision you have every five years. This is an active task, an active daily task right now, right where you're at. Following God's commandment and loving your neighbor play out, plays out in all the small things that you do. Right now, all of you have a neighbor. You are all sitting next to somebody. The will of God is for you to love that person. The will of God is for you to love that person as you're walking out of this building and you run into somebody on the street or when you have lunch or when you are driving your hungry and grumpy kids home on the way from church because they haven't had lunch yet. The will of God, the ways that you recognize what God is doing day in and day out, the ways that you ask him and that you are following him. It's the way you treat people, the way you act, the way you talk, the way you serve your boss at work, the way you treat your employees at work. That is the will of God. That is how we play that out. Um, Jerry Sitzer wrote a book called A Way of God, 
The Will of God is a Way of Life, and it is a book that, if you have not read it, it's a really wonderful book, and I would encourage you to read it. But <coughs> he said it like this. The will of God concerns the present more than the future. It deals with our motives as well as our actions. It focuses on the little decisions we make every day, even more than the big decisions we make about the future. The only time we really have both to know and to do God's will is the present moment. We are to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul, mind, and strength, and we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. These are the basic responsibility Jesus challenges us to pay attention to, just as a basketball coach emphasizes the fundamentals of dribbling, passing, and shooting. Now, if you're more of a Henry Nouwen fan, he reiterates this, and he says this. I also came to see that I should not worry about tomorrow, next week, next year, or the next century. The more willing I was to look honestly at what I was thinking and saying and doing now, the more easily I would come into touch with the movement of God's spirit in me, leading me to the future. God is a God of the present and reveals to those who are willing to listen carefully to the moment in which they live the steps they are to take toward the future. Do not worry about tomorrow, Jesus says. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. God's will of loving God and loving others is lived out today, right now, in the present. Which leads me to my fifth and final lesson. To quote my really cool Air Jesus shirt, just do it. Stop waiting to do God's will. Stop trying to figure out all these things that I'm supposed to do in the future. Stop trying to figure out what lies ahead and just live it. How many hours do we spend fretting over big decisions ahead of us when there are people to love literally right in front of us and right next to us? What is constant is here and now. Stop waiting. And ask, if you need help in trying to figure out how to do this, ask him. He will tell you, he will show you. Every morning, wake up and say, God, what do you have for me today? Who do you want me to reach out to? Who do you want me to be in contact with? Who do you want me to love? I guarantee you will know. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Commit each moment to him right now. Love him and love others, and stop waiting for the future or for somebody else to figure it out for you. Spend more time being Jesus' hands and feet and less time wondering if you are a hand or a foot or what the foot is even for. And to close this time, I have got a really good friend who has wrestled through this with me as well. So right now, I, am, I had asked Kyle Scott to come up, and he's going to share with you part of his story as he has struggled through the will of God as well, letting me know that I'm not alone in it. You guys give it up for Kyle. We love him. Hi, I'm, I'm Kyle. So Julie thought it'd be fun if, uh, if I just came and shared the, the worst parts of my life with you. So here we go. Uh, so I went to Whitworth, and some of you might have done something similar. But I was, I was very much a believer in the, the one shining path that I was going to take through my life that was going to lead me to joy and all sorts of wonderful things, and that if I made any mistakes, that it was going to be over for me. And so when I was uh, finishing school... I was dating this girl, as you're supposed to, in college, and I was pretty sure the will of God was to marry her and just be happy forever. But then she broke up with me, and I didn't have a job, and all my friends moved away, and I just spent all my time sitting on a couch wondering what I was supposed to do, and I couldn't figure it out. Uh, I was in the internship at New Community, hanging out with Russ, 
and feeling really inspired to do good things for the church and ministry, and I didn't know what any of those things were. And when I wasn't at church, I just sat on my couch asking, you know, what am, what am I supposed to do? What actions am I supposed to take to be in line with the will of God? Then luckily for me, I don't know who, somebody recommended that I read uh, The Will of God is a Way of Life by Sitzer. And the way I'd been functioning was, I thought, like Julie mentioned, that every decision was either a decision to be in line with the will of God or to move away from it and into the woods, and you're never going to get back from that. And so I was paralyzed because I didn't know what job I should do. And I, I knew that if I made the wrong choice, that was it for me. And as, as he says in the book, he says, maybe, maybe God doesn't really care if you marry Sarah or Mary, and now I, I married Melanie, and she's the best. And maybe God doesn't care if you live in Spokane or Denver. And maybe he doesn't care if you work at a church or a bank. Maybe what he cares about is how you try to do that. And so for me, what, what was important was I just, had to, I just had to get off the couch. And so I, I got a job, and it wasn't very fun, and I wasn't very good at it. But it taught me something. It taught me that I didn't like doing that, and maybe that wasn't the will of God for me. So then I got a different job, and I, I wasn't good at that either. But I learned some more stuff, and that's where I met money, so it worked out great. And, uh, and what I've found to be true for myself is that I certainly have never heard a burning bush tell me, this is, what, this is what you're going to do. This is the way it's going to be. You're welcome. You never have to struggle with a decision again, which is what I wanted really bad. I thought, I thought that if you were a good Christian, you would essentially just get a book from Jesus written to you. Hey, here's, here's the Disney movie story I wrote for your life. And surprise, uh, spoiler alert, it's got a happy ending. Now, that hasn't been the case, and, and I think that what Julie has walked us through today is really powerful because certainly for myself, I'm 28, my story's not over yet, but now I'm in a place where I'm doing something that I care about, where I feel like I'm able to use those gifts, and more importantly, I'm in a place where on a day-to-day basis, I'm able to not live in a, in a place of guilt and self-doubt for what if I got off the path today? It's, it's much more encouraging to say, all right, well, how can I live into the will of God, which I always sum up for myself, as Julie mentioned, is love God, love other people. It's a lot simpler that way. And, and I think as, as we move forward and make decisions, uh, one of the things I've done to try to make sure I don't go back to the place of being paralyzed on a couch wondering, how am I ever going to get this just right, is to... And you don't have to do it in the morning. But I try to, to start days with some sort of reaffirmation of it's not about me. It's about God. He's going he's gonna to bless it either way as long as I try to seek him in it. And, and the other thing, and you may have heard this once or twice from up here, from New Community. But I am part of a small group. And I think being part of a community is really powerful. Because now, you know, if we're thinking about buying a house, uh, here's... Here's my plan. You don't have to use this, but this is, my, uh, this is my shortcut version to figure out the will of God. I think about what I want to do, narrow it down to like two to six options, and I check that with the small group, and if they don't say something like, well, actually, Kyle, it's, 
that's a horrible thing. You shouldn't be doing that. And you, you can just flip a coin because it doesn't really matter as long as you continue to seek him in it. He can use it for his good because, like Julie said, uh, it turns out, unsurprisingly, that God's plans are a lot bigger than you can mess up on your own. And so, for me, that's been an incredible source of freedom from guilt and stress and tension. And uh, it's, it's more fun if you get a focus on just loving people instead of worrying all the time that you're making a big mistake that you can never correct. Because uh, God's bigger than that. And, and his, I feel pretty confident we can say his will isn't for you to live a life of fear. And that's, that's my story. Thank you, Kyle. Um, so maybe your story is similar to Kyle. Maybe it's similar to mine. Maybe it's completely different altogether, and this is something you've actually never struggled with. Whoever you are, though, my hope for you today is that you will leave here with on your mind and heart that you are going to live out the will of God right here and right now today because you were created to be loved by God, to love him back, and then out of that, to love your neighbors. So if you guys will stand with me, I'm going to read you guys the benediction. New community. May we sit in awe of the God who created the universe. May we bathe in God's love for us. May we love whomever God puts in front of us. And may we do God's will in this present moment. Go and be the church. Thank you. And as you guys are leaving, if you do want to join the meet and greet, we'll be right next door in the chapel. Thanks.